You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. step to messing your life up. Are you ready for this? You want to know how to mess your life up as a Christian? Stop thanking God and stop praising him. And we live in a society that's unloving, unholy, ungracious, unthankful. And if we're not careful, we could catch that disease. So it's best to turn off probably most of the outlets we have for news (laughs) and get into the word and just start to thank God for what he's done. Look at your life. Look at how he has redeemed you. Look at how he's redeemed us. We are the redeemed of the Lord and we should say so. We should talk about it. Amen. We should declare it. And because we're redeemed, we just need to keep that on our lips all the time. Always on the forefront of our heart, our mind, and our mouth. And we should continue to declare that. Hallelujah. And in Romans chapter 1, I'm not going to take time to go there, but Romans chapter 1, would you see if you can figure the lightage out? It seems like it's a little bit dim in here. We're, we're missing some people tonight that are uh, smarter than I am. And uh, so if you can figure that out, that'd be great. Thank you, sir. Um, so um, in Romans chapter 1, it actually gives, and this is all free, by the way. This is not even what I'm going to minister on. This is, you, you may have to pay for this. It's good. Yeah, it's free. In Romans chapter 1, it gives, a, it gives a recipe for turning your life in the wrong direction. And it talks about people. And the end result is they don't even like to retain God in their knowledge. But the very first step is that they are unthankful. They're unthankful. And I've found that the worst days that I've had are when I've been unthankful. Just not grateful, not thankful for what God has done. And it can be easy to fall into that because we look at so much of what we don't have or things that are going on that are wrong or whatever. But being thankful has nothing to do with what we have or don't have. It has to do with the condition of our heart. It has to do with the choice we make to just say, God, I just, I thank you. I'm thankful for you and for what you have done. And you know, if everything is messed up in your life, it doesn't change the fact that God is good and that he has blessed us beyond measure. It says that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Lord, forgive me for ever having a moment where I've not been thankful. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, it says in Ephesians 1 and 13, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places he has given us. Man, hallelujah. All right, I'm going to get into what I'm going to share with you guys tonight. Are you ready? It's going to be awesome. So if you missed last week, I started ministering on just um, just being a knowing people and having revelation come to us. And this is something that we all of us should desire. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, I believe it's chapter 14. I'll probably get there. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, it says desire. Uh, I, I'm sorry. 12, it says, now concerning spiritual gifts. Nope, it's 14. And 14, like I said at first, 1 Corinthians 14, it says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, 
The word gifts is italicized there, so you could put things potentially in there. I think in context, I think things works good because he's not just talking about gifts here. He's primarily talking about gifts, but he's just talking about spiritual things. You know, there are things going on in the spirit. There are spiritual things that we need to have our eyes illuminated to. We need to have the curtains pulled back. We need to have the, uh, the layers of things in the way that are keeping us from seeing the reality of the truths of the spiritual realm. You know, everything in the natural realm was created by the spiritual realm. And the, the reason we know this, and we, the reason we know that the spirit realm is the supreme force, it's, the, it's the, the, the mother realm, if you want to say it that way. The reason we know this is because the Bible says that God is spirit. And who created everything? Did man create the earth? No. God, who is spirit, he is spirit substance. He's a person, but he's a spirit person. He created the entire world. So the spiritual realm is the dominating force to the natural realm. And if we can see this, if we can peel back the curtains, if we can have some revelation to help us see this, it will actually change the way we go about dealing with things in life. For example, in Ephesians chapter 6, it says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's right. So natural things, right? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against uh, the rulers of the darkness of this age, a host of um, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. That's Kent's version. But, you know, all that stuff is in there, right? So the point is, is that there are things that are going on in the spiritual realm that if we have our eyes opened up to it, it will change the way we respond. It will change the way we go about praying. It will change the way we go about believing. And this is why Jesus, and I think this, this was a, just a precursor to how we are supposed to believe. He told the disciples, he said, pray like this or pray in this manner. It's interesting. He said, pray in this manner. He didn't say recite these words uh, repetitively. Nothing wrong with the Lord's prayer, but it actually probably properly should be called the disciples prayer because he told them to pray this way. He said, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He didn't say thy will be done in heaven as it is on earth because the earth is a greater reality. No, heaven in the spiritual realm is the greater reality. And our goal as believers is to see the kingdom of God in the spiritual realm, his precepts, his concepts, his blessing, the inheritance we have in him, all of the attributes that the cross provided, all of those things. The goal is to see manifestation from the spiritual realm into the natural realm. This is what salvation is. Probably everybody in this room understands salvation. You know, salvation is a spiritual blessing. Now, we can see the manifestation of it because it should hopefully begin to change our life and, and affect us in every which way, how we think, how we treat people, how we go about life, all of that. But when you got saved, when you and I got saved, it was a spiritual transformation. And what happened is when we said, yes, God, I'm putting my trust in you. I'm putting my faith in you. We received salvation, something. Now, you might have felt something. It's possible. A lot of people have felt something when they got saved. Did anybody feel anything when they got saved? 
Yeah, a couple of you did. A lot of people, it's just like a faith thing. Like, hey, I'm just trusting you, Lord. You didn't necessarily feel anything. But by faith, you believed that there was something taking place in the spiritual realm. Even if you didn't put it in those, those words, you believed there was something taking place between you and God in the spirit when you got saved to bring about the transformation needed. Now, when you first got saved, especially if you're young, you might not have thought about all of that. But you knew on some level that there was something happening beyond, you know, beyond the sea somewhere, whatever, beyond what you could see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. Again, you may have not had the words, but you knew something was going on, and it was happening in the spiritual realm. Salvation is that way. Healing is that way. Every blessing that's in the word of God, everything that Jesus provided, and not just the blessing and the inheritance and the favor of God, but also all of the things of God. All of the mysteries of God, the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, all of the ways of God, God's thinking, it's all beyond just our natural capacity to understand. It's beyond what we can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. But Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Pray with an expectation. To say that we're supposed to pray in faith actually goes without saying. Whenever you pray something, you're always supposed to pray in faith. Whenever not supposed to pray in faith, because God's a father. He said, our father, which art in heaven. It's an indication there that he's a good God who wants us to have good things. It's just real simple. So faith is an automatic. And he said, our father, which art in heaven. And then he said, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So there was an automatic or a reality that Jesus operated in that he wanted us to step into, that he wanted us to be able to see. This is like when he told Nathaniel, I think I might have shared this last week, but when he told Nathaniel, he said, you are going to see this, the angels ascending and descending upon the son of man. And you know what he was saying? He was saying, there's something going on in the spiritual realm. And I can tell you now, it was already happening on Jesus. That was already taking place. But he told Nathaniel, he said, your eyes are going to be opened up to where, and I think Nathaniel probably could maybe even physically see it, but at least spiritually his eyes were opened up and he could see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man based off of what Jesus said was going to happen. Now, do you think that those angels started ascending and descending when Jesus said that? No, they were already ascending and descending. There was already activity happening in the spiritual realm. Jesus was simply saying, Nathaniel, your eyes are going to be opened up to it. And you know, when Jesus spoke in, in the parable of the sower, and he spoke about this in Mark chapter 4, Matthew uh, 13, and uh, Luke 8, I believe it's Luke 8. And so it's in three different places. And he said, the disciples said, Lord, why do you speak to them in parables? And this is recorded in three places. If it's recorded in one place, it's important because it's in the word. But if it's in three places, the Lord's really trying to get our attention with something. And he said, or the disciples said, uh, why do you speak to them in parables? And he said, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Because Jesus also spoke to his disciples in parables. And then at times he would take and he would explain things just very plainly to them. But he hid them in parables so that it would require people seeking in, in order for them to find. God just, he doesn't just, you know what's so funny about parables is that it's, it's almost like a riddle or an enigma that's impossible for the human brain to figure out. You know, I, I think I asked this uh, last week, if I remember right, that it's like who in here has read, you know, Jesus 
and been like, Jesus, what the heck are you talking about? You ever been there with any of his stuff? Like, what are you talking about? There's still some parables that I'm like, I really do not really fully understand that. But then all of a sudden, when the spirit of God illuminates it, you go, oh, what's right there in front of my eyes? It's like he hides it in plain sight for us. And the reason he does that is so that people won't just read the Bible like a book. They'll read it like a mystery that must be solved that only the Spirit of God can reveal to you. Only he can unlock the mysteries that are in the Word and that are in the Spirit realm. Amen. Amen. It's weird for some people to hear someone talk about the Spirit realm. And because there's people use that like a new agey talk uses things like, oh, the spirit realm and vibes. And I'm not talking about weird stuff. I'm talking about the fact that God is a spirit and there is more going on, spiritually speaking, than what our eyes have been illuminated to. So we need to have our eyes opened up. We need to have our ears opened up. We need to have our spiritual senses discerned so we can tell what's going on in the spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. So let me show you this in 1 Corinthians. Did I have you go to 1 Corinthians 2? So we're in 1 Corinthians 2. And let me show you this. This is, this is going to help you. You all with me? Let's go to verse. Boy, I want to read the whole chapter. Because I like to see things in context. Let's start at verse 1. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And in verse 1. And we're going to read a few verses here. And it says in verse one, it says, and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among, among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling in my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. Hmm. I'm going to move on. Verse 5, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Hmm. Let me just say this. I keep going, hmm, because I'm trying not to say it, but I'm going to say it anyways. There needs to be a return of the power of God in greater measure in the church, inside the four walls, outside the four walls. So people are compelled, they're convinced by the power of God and not just, not just, not even just the wisdom of God, certainly not the wisdom of man, but they see the power of God in demonstration. Verse six, however, we speak wisdom. So he was saying we do speak wisdom, but it wasn't just, it wasn't man's wisdom. He said, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. <laughs> this is true of our time right now, because when you and I take the gospel of Jesus Christ and we preach it and we teach it and we reveal it and we reveal the things of the kingdom of God, it's interesting because it is the Bible says that the gospel is foolishness to them that are perishing. You can talk to people that are, are high minded and have seem to have everything figured out, but you talk to them about the gospel and they think you're you're nuts. Some people do anyways. <laughs> it's foolishness to them. But there are people in this world that are coming to nothing. And they need to come to nothing. 
I'm not talking about us going around and looking and being like, you know what, you're coming to nothing. That's not for us to judge, right? That's, that's God's job. We're going to leave that up to him. But I'm encouraged because I believe the same is true in our age, that he who sits in the heavens laughs, and he's going to hold them in derision. And I don't know all what's going to happen in our country in the next month or two months or six months, or I don't even think the most in-tune prophet in the world really knows what's going to happen. But I do know this. When I read Revelation, when I read the end of the book, I see that we win. I see that Jesus wins and we're on his side. We have absolutely nothing to worry about. And I'm looking forward to the day when the battle of Armageddon begins and it's not us fighting, but it's Jesus riding on his white horse and coming and defeating all the enemies of the Lord. That's going to be an awesome day. Amen. So we got some stuff to look forward to. But listen to this. In verse 7, it says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom of God ordained before the ages for our glory. Now, here's a question that I want to ask of you. And I'm going to answer the question, but I'm going to ask it right now. How did they get the wisdom of God? It wasn't the wisdom of man. He said... But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, and not just the wisdom of God, it's the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. If it's hidden, how did they find it? How did they uncover the wisdom of God? Great question. We're going to continue on, and I'm going to give you the answer. In verse 8, it says, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Let me tell you something about the people that are doing demonic evil things in our nation right now. They are spiritually stupid. They do not. And I'm, I'm saying that as that's as nice as I know how to say it. Ignorant probably would sound nicer, but let's just say stupid. They're spiritually stupid. They're spiritually non-discerned, non-sharp. They're ignorant of spiritual things. And this is what the enemy always does. He always overplays his hand. And this is what he's saying here is that if they had known what they were doing when they put Jesus on the cross and then put him in the grave, they never would have done it because all it did was release heaven on earth. Amen. Because you can't have resurrection without death first. So when they killed him, they made the possibility, the potential for death and then for the resurrection. Of course, the resurrection came and that's where all the glory and the power came in. They always over the, overplay their hand. The enemy always overplays his hand. Always. Always. So we should never freak out about what's going on in our world. At some point, he's going to be revealed and things are going to be set right. I wish I could tell you with confidence that it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen in the next year or two years or whatever. I don't know. And I can tell you this. It is not, I'm convinced of this. It is not about who's in office, whether things get fixed or not. The pro even with the greatest president, you could pick the person who you think would be the greatest president to, to run our country. And I promise you, the problems in our country and in the world are too big for him or her to fix. It's too big. We're at a point now, the only hope that we have is for God to fix things. And I just believe, because I've seen the hand of the Lord... I've seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, and so I have not lost hope. I've not lost hope at what God's going to do in America, what he's going to do in our nation. I have not lost hope. 
Because the enemy always overplays his hand. Always. And God's going to turn some things around. And here's the deal. I actually believe it's set up just like glory was revealed when Jesus rose from the dead. This is what I believe. Is that things, and I'm not saying that God did it, but I'm just saying things are so set up in our country that when things turn around and glory rests upon our land in great measure, nobody will be able to take credit for it. People are going to have to turn. Unless they've totally hardened themselves, they're going to have to turn and say, only God could do this. Only God could do this. I think that's awesome. And verse 8, look here. It says, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they uh, known, and I read this already, didn't I? They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Verse 9, now listen to this. This is where it really gets juicy, all right? Verse 9, it says, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. I have heard this verse preached many times in my days. And this is normally how you hear it said. I has not seen, and it's kind of, I mean, this is how I hear it. I hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, nor have entered into the, to the heart of man the things which God has prepared. You just don't know what God's going to do. Nobody sees, nobody knows, nobody has any understanding. You just don't know about what God's going to do. He might move this way tomorrow, and he might move this way the next day. You just don't know what God's going to do. That's how I've heard it presented most of the time. Uh, this is because they stop at that verse and they don't read the next one. It says, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. So if he's revealed the things, why would we be in darkness of the things, of the wisdom of God, of what the Spirit of God has to say, of the gifts of the Spirit, of the anything that you want to fill in the blanks with that God has given, he's prepared for those who love him. We are not meant to live in darkness. You know why? We are children of light. The living one, the lighted one, the illuminated one lives on the inside of us. And he shreds every ounce of darkness that we will allow him to come in and flip the light on. In whatever room in our mind and in our heart that we've got any darkness, God will shed light and cause illumination to come. Thank you, Jesus. It says, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. The first part there is a really good question. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? It's kind of a, a rhetorical question. But it is a good question to think about nonetheless. Who really knows what's going on inside of you? And you and you and you and you and you and, you and, you and me. <laughs> And you watching online, who really knows what's going on besides the Lord? Who really knows what's going on inside of us? I mean, really knows the deep things. Only we do. Only the spirit of the man knows what's going on. Now, we can say some things. We can share some things. But even with that, sometimes, sometimes we in our minds don't fully know what's going on in the inside of us. Lest the spirit really reveal the deep things even that are in us. But certainly nobody can know the things that are going, the thoughts that we've had, the things that we've, we've pondered, the things that have bothered us. I mean, there could be a list of things that nobody knows besides us. And no one knows those things except for the spirit of a man that's in him. And even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. 
And the good news about that is the next verse says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know. Everybody say no. Know the things that have been freely given to us by God. You know what this is saying? Nobody can know the, the things of a man except the spirit of a man. Nobody can really truly know the things of God except for the spirit of God. But the good news is that we've been given the spirit of God. And he can reveal all things to us. In particular, all of the things he has freely given us. Think about the inheritance of the Lord. It says that we are seated in heavenly places with him or in him. And we have been made. You got to understand, it's not like we've been, just been made an heir. We have been made a joint heir or a co-equal heir with Jesus. You go and study it out. When it says that we've been made an heir with him, it's not saying you got a little bit of the crumbs. <laughs> it's not saying you got a, a smaller portion. Jesus got the most of it, but the rest of us, we just get just enough to skate, to, you know, to skate by until we get to heaven. We literally are joint heirs with Jesus, meaning the exact same inheritance that Jesus received. We have received the exact same inheritance that Jesus has. Everything that Jesus has, all the power, all the anointing, all the victory, all of the healing, all of the blessing, all of the favor, all of the life, all of the truth, all of the power, all of the things that you could put in there that Jesus received from the Father, from the heavenly position, which has no limitation on riches. Now, I'm not talking about uh, financial things. You can include that in there because we serve a really, really rich God. The streets in heaven are paved with gold. He's very wealthy. If, you're, if you've got a problem, if you're offended by wealth, you're going to be really offended when you get to heaven. From what I understand, <laughs> from what I understand, heaven's gate or gates are fashioned out of one solid pearl. That is one big pearl, I could imagine. I mean, think about that. Also a big clam as well. <laughs> God is, he is, he's not just, he's not just wealthy. He's an extravagant God. But I'm actually not even talking about, about natural finances, although it includes that. But I'm talking about the spiritual wealth that you and I have in the Lord. There is no limit. There is no cap to it. There is no cap to what you and I can do what we can manifest, and what we can make known, make a reality here in this life. There isn't anything that you can need or, or even want spiritually that you don't have within your ability because of God on the inside of you to first of all understand and second of all to make manifest in your life. You know why? Because you have the spirit of God living on the inside of you. The spirit of truth that will reveal all things that he has freely given to us. There is not anything that pertains to life and pertains to godliness, pertains to favor, pertains to blessing on any level that God is withholding from anybody. He's not withholding anything. So for us, going from where it is now, which is 
in the spiritual realm, although freely given to us, it's in the spiritual realm going from having it there to in manifestation to where it actually helps us. The bridge between there is having knowledge revealed because all things that pertain to life and godliness come to us through the knowledge of him. It's having the curtains peeled back and God showing you and then it manifesting. Now, let me finish a few verses here. Actually, I'm going to finish this chapter. We will have read a whole chapter tonight in the Bible. Praise God. In verse 13, it says, These things we also speak, not in words, which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man, you have to understand something. You have, you have to understand something. If there is a lack in us, if there is a lack of desire in us to know and to pursue spiritual things, the enemy has got us blinded and looking too much at the natural. Because it is impossible for the natural man to discern spiritual things. You cannot just operate in the natural, what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel, and expect to manifest the full blessing of the Lord. Now, I'm not just talking about uh, not living in sin. I'm talking about not living carnal. All sin is carnal, but not all carnality is sin. Anything that we would do is sinful would, would absolutely be carnal. But you know, you don't have to be in sin to be carnal. You could just be thinking natural and only thinking in natural terms and in natural ways and and looking at God's only able to do this much because that's as much as grandma got or whatever it looks like but God is is so much bigger and greater and far beyond that that we have to get beyond thinking like mere men for we are not mere men and women we are sons and daughters of the most high God co equal heirs with Jesus Christ having all of the same blessing that was given to him has also been given to us this is why it says that Jesus is our our brother and he was the firstborn among many brethren when you and I got born again here's how I say it because both realities are true we were both born into the kingdom and we were adopted God covered it all some people say, I've been adopted into the family. True. Other people say, I've been born again into the family. Also true. When you are born, you are natu just naturally speaking, your natural DNA that came from your parents flows through your veins. True? So when you're talking about how you were born again or how we've been born again by the Spirit of God, what we're saying is that all of the spiritual DNA that's inside of God flows through our spiritual veins. <laughs> we got to think about this stuff more. I mean, we just really need to think about this more. God's, God's substance is in us. You say, well, where is all? It's in us. When you pray, you don't need to go like this. You just can bow your head because it's all right there. You don't need your prayers to go far. It just is right here. And all of it is right there on the inside of us. It's incredible. We've got God's DNA. God's DNA. I mean, we would think it's special if, you know, we had like, 
I was going to say Donald Trump, but some people don't like Donald Trump, whatever. Just whatever person you like. You know, maybe Wayne Gretzky. Maybe you want to be a great hockey player, and you're like, I got Wayne Gretzky's, you know, hockey DNA flow. Who cares about Wayne Gretzky? Who cares about Donald Trump or any other great person? But in the natural, we would think it's special if we were an heir to some throne or something like that. Would we not? Oh, this is so-and-so's son, and he's the president of Walmart or whatever, you know? I mean, people would think that's something special. Who is Sam Walton compared to God? Nobody. He's a nobody. We have God's DNA flowing through our veins. So what's also true is that we've been adopted. And you know what adoption speaks of? It speaks of inheritance that can not be denied to you for anything you do wrong after you have been accepted into the adoption of the family because he has chosen you. Being born again speaks to you choosing God. Being adopted by God speaks to him choosing you. And whenever you are adopted, you can't be, at least in, at least in America, in most states, it, you actually cannot be cut out of a will. I don't know if you know that. So if you adopt a child and they are, they are uh, adopted, you can't, you can't have your biological children in the will and not have your adopted children in the will. At least in most states, I know that, I know that to be true. I'm telling you now, that's how it is with God. When you've been adopted into the family, you can't be cut out of his will. Now, you may not access all of his will. Come on now. That's true. I still have some of his will that I'm, I'm working on accessing. My problem is, is that sometimes I have stinking thinking. Sometimes I just don't believe like I need to. Sometimes I allow things to get in the way. But it hasn't changed the fact that God has given it. Sometimes we look at what's going on in our life. People blame God for so many things. It's unbelievable. I mean, I'm always, I mean, I'm in ministry. I'm always praying with people and helping people and ministering to people and talking with people. People blame God for stuff. I think, my God, that wasn't God. That was either the devil. He gets blamed for a lot of stuff that he shouldn't have credit for. Or it was just because you weren't very smart and you made a really bad decision. And I say the latter is the most common. Most of the stuff we get involved in are self-inflicted wounds. <laughs> and we go to rebuking the devil, but we don't change our thinking. We don't change the way that we're doing stuff. You know, people will get in all kinds of debt and be like, oh, the devil's robbing from me. No, you spend more than you make. Stop doing that and you'll, you'll have more money. <laughs> it's really simple, very profound. But people blame God for all kinds of things. God is not robbing from us. He's done everything he possibly can. Greater love has no man than what? Then he lay down his life. He, can, he cannot reveal his love to us on any greater measure. Sometimes people are like, oh God, just, just bless me. Just love me. Show me your love. And I can understand that in a sense of like, sometimes it's just good to have daddy come up and put his arm around you. Come on, let's just be honest about that. Amen. It's good to feel God's love, but whether you feel it or not doesn't change the fact that he is passionately head over heels in love with every one of us as our father who will never withhold any good thing from us because we are his spiritual children with his DNA and we are also his adopted children because he accepted us before we even accepted him. And he would never withhold any good thing from us ever. We should never blame God for anything. Amen or oh me. 
See, people get bitter. I talk to a lot of people who are outside of the church. Not you. You're inside of the church tonight, right? But I talk to a lot of people who are bitter. And when it comes down to it, they're upset at God for X, Y, Z that happened to them either in the church or with a family member or their husband or their wife or their parent or whatever. And they blame God for that stuff. Well, if God, blah, 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 blah. It's not God's fault. We live in a fallen world and we have to learn how to cooperate with the spiritual realm to manifest what he has already said he wants us to have in every measure, in every level, in every way that the Father has freely given to us. It's about us learning to cooperate, not making excuses. You know, my mom, this is my sister sitting here. We lost our mom. How old was she? 64? 65 and um, way too early. And we did, we did everything that we, we knew to do. And there was lots of dynamics involved um, that I just couldn't go into. Uh, but we did everything we, we knew to do. Uh, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we fasted and we did everything that we knew to do. We did some things in the, in the, in the natural There was things going on in the natural that we worked to try to help her. And then we even took her to a church in California, Bethel Church in California, me and her and Liz. And uh, we did everything we possibly could with the knowledge and the understanding we had at that moment. And my mom died. And my mom was one of the most incredible women. Terry remembers my mom. She was awesome. She was an incredible woman. I actually prayed that I would marry somebody like my mom. And she doesn't look like my mom, but that would be weird, I guess. But anyways, <laughs> she, but her, her mannerisms and her heart and her passion and fire for the Lord. If you see Liz, you've seen my mom. That sounds like Jesus. If you've seen me, you see my father. But anyways, if you've seen Liz, then you've got at least some kind of a representation of how Liz treats people. That's how my mom was. She was incredible. She did not deserve to die. I could think of like... a seven billion people on the earth that maybe deserved to die more than my mother did or whatever. I mean, she was awesome. We had to step away from that whole situation and come to a place to where we go, you know what? God, we know you're good. It is the cornerstone of our faith. It's the cornerstone of our trust in you. We know that you are good and we're not going to move off of that. B, because you are good, you take no delight in calamity and sickness in anything of that realm, we're not blaming this on you. See, because you've given us authority, we're also not blaming this on you as that you just were working some redemptive purpose for my mom being sick and suffering for five years and then going on to be with heaven. I even had somebody come up to me and they're like, they're like, heaven is a lot better off with your mom there. I'm like, heaven didn't need her. I need her. Are you kidding me? Knucklehead. And so, you know, but this is where people are at about stuff. Sorry, I shouldn't. Yeah, knucklehead. It was a family member, so it was okay. I can call him a knucklehead. That's the way that people think. They just blame God for stuff. God wasn't at fault with it. You know where the fault lies? And there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation whatsoever. But you know where the fault lies? It was on us. It was on my mom. It was family members. It was somewhere that we didn't have something that we needed to manifest what God had already freely given to her. Healing was not an issue. A miracle is not an issue for God. And see, people think they look at faith and they go, oh, well, you didn't have enough faith. And so God withheld. No, no faith 
appropriates, receives, manifests, makes known what God freely gives by grace. God is not impressed with your faith. He is not impressed with our faith. Faith is what we do to respond to his grace that is already freely given. His grace provided everything in this life and the life hereafter, provided everything that we will ever need in any area, any situation, any problem. His grace is big enough, great enough, strong enough to cover anything. All we have to do is learn how to take his word have some revelation from his word, see past the natural, look into the spirit, and we can manifest what it is that God has provided through Jesus. It says right here, we just read it. It says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have freely been freely given to us by God. Why is it that we would know the things that have been freely given to us by God? So we could possess those, so we could operate in those, so we can have those things. You can have all of the, the, the wealthiest bank account. You can have the wealthiest natural uh, dad leave you an inheritance that's beyond measure in a bank account, but not be able to access $1 of it if you don't know how to get into the bank account. And maybe he left some of the bank account and some of the the safe deposit box and these different things, and you have to find keys that will unlock. And it's not that God's going, Will, I'm going to dangle it out here, and hopefully you oh, yeah, she died. You just didn't learn enough. No, that, that's not God's heart. Sometimes I think people think that about God. That's not God's heart. It's just that the earth is so messed up. Jesus came to redeem, but the full redemption doesn't come until after he comes back. But until then, all of the benefits of heaven are readily available to us. We just have to learn how to appropriate it. The common Christian, this could sound mean, but I'm just being honest. The common Christian operates in a very low level of faith. In a very low level of revelation concerning what is available to them. And the reason I know this, and I'm, I'm not going to call myself common, and I'm not going to call you common. But I'll just say we got some things to learn. The reason I know this is because Jesus said, the works that I do, you will do, and greater works than these will you do. And if you know that God's love, if you know that he is love and he's given and he is blessed, it automatically removes the whole idea of like, well, maybe he doesn't want you to have it. That's for me. I'm so I'm so overwhelmed by the love of God. The fact that he loves me, that's totally blown out of the water, totally blown out of the way for me. It's not a hindrance for me anymore. I don't step back and go, God, I guess I guess you just don't want me to be blessed. You don't want me to be. I just that's totally removed from me. Now I go, all right, Lord, what do I need to know? Because my prayer is going to be like what Jesus said. And I'm going to pray our father. First of all, God, when I come to you, I recognize that you are my father. When you pray to him, you pray to the Father. He is a master. He's our master. He's our creator. He's our savior. He's many things, but he is our Father. Amen. And what, what good Father would ever withhold anything good for his children? I don't know of a good Father. I know of some rotten ones that might withhold good things, but I don't know of a good Father. Good doesn't even describe God. It's just the word we have to describe him. It's the, probably the best English word we have. But it doesn't really even describe him. He's beyond. He's incomprehensible as far as, far as his goodness as a father. And, and he said, when you pray, pray that what's being done in heaven 
There's no sickness in heaven. There's no poverty in heaven. There's no lack in heaven. There's no broken relationships in heaven. None of that is going on in heaven. None of it. So when we pray to our father, we pray with expectation as his child who is deeply loved that when we pray that we'll see come to manifest in heaven here on earth for us. Life is long enough that we should pursue the manifested whatever that we need in heaven here on earth. I mean, you know, if we were only going to be here for just, you know, a couple weeks, I'd say, let's get everybody saved in that two weeks and don't worry about anything else. But you need healing in your body. People die early because they don't receive healing. No condemnation, none whatsoever. People don't have enough money to preach the gospel because they're living in poverty. Or they could do more with their money if they had more money. Wouldn't it be nice if we believed God and we cooperated with the laws that determine heaven's blessing operating on earth? Wouldn't it be good if we just had enough money to just do anything that we wanted? See, I'm not sitting up here on a, on a high and mighty horse like, well, I've got it all figured out. I don't have it all figured out. But I can tell you this. Everything that's there in the spirit realm, in the kingdom of God, that's not here in the natural, it belongs to me because I have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. This is why if everything was taken away from me, if everything in the natural was taken away, if I lost, lost it all, I would be able to gain it all back. You know why? Because the things that I have, my cars and my home and those things like that, my clothes and all of that, those are not the blessing. They're the result of being blessed. The blessing is spiritual and it can never be taken away. You can choose not to access it, but it can never be taken away from you. You're adopted. You're adopted. The blessing, the inheritance, all of that has been given. It's freely been given. I didn't even get to where I wanted to get to tonight, but I think I got where God wanted me to get tonight. We need to totally eliminate all ideal mentality that God wouldn't want us to have something that he has said that we freely have in him. You can find, if, as you read through the scriptures, you can find more blessing in there than you even know what to do with. He is a God of blessing. He got Abraham and he, he said, I'm calling you out from your, among your, your, your parents' house. And he said, I'm going to take you to a land. And he said, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. It's funny, people sometimes that have a problem with prosperity, I have no problem with prosperity. I know what to do with my prosperity. We love to give. We live to give. But Abraham was rich. Oh, he was spiritually rich. Yeah, but he was rich in gold and silver and livestock. He had natural manifestation of the blessing that he could do things with. If it doesn't ever come into manifestation, whatever it is, we can't do anything with it. Joy is a spiritual blessing. If it never shows up on your face, it's not benefiting you. Peace is a spiritual blessing. If you don't operate in it, if you're not calm and still on the inside, but yet I've got the fruit of the spirit, peace, it's no, ben it's no benefit to you. Amen. Amen. 
Hallelujah. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.